Let's go on what we're doing. So last week, uh, we're getting toward the end of the, um, the chapters that are telling us about the church. A quick review of last week is we're, we've, we've gone through these churches that have been supposed to have been a representative of Christ. But we find in every one of those churches, every single one until today, we find that Jesus addresses the churches and said, man, you know, you're not what you're supposed to be. As a church, you are not what you're supposed to be. And it's sad because he established the church to be his representative on the earth. I tell people at work when um, they come to me and they're not agreeing with something or they want to change it. And I'm like, well, let me explain something to you. When you came to work here, you came to work here because the owner had built this company up and he can't be everywhere. He can't be doing every other job in, in, the, in the business. So he hires people to be his representative and do what he can't do out in the field, wherever it is, in the accounting, whether it's back in the shop, where it's on the road, whether it's in the CSR, whatever it is. And so we hire because we have a position available so that we compensate you and pay you to be a representative of this individual because he can't be there. And he's not going to be there. And in the same way, when Jesus left us here, he entrusted to us, he entrusted us the truth. He entrusted to us to represent him. Now, I'm talking about people that are saved, people that have believed in him. You don't get saved by doing anything. You get saved by trusting in Jesus as your Savior. You get, you get saved because you know that he did everything for you. He died on that cross. He rose again from the grave. He's completely paid all of our sin. And now that we're his children, we're of his kingdom, and we're ambassadors, that means a representative of God on this earth, we're supposed to represent him as he has told us, not as we think, not as we please. And this is not a smorgasbord or a buffet where we can choose to eat that, but we don't want this and we want that, and we begin to choose. When, that's when Jesus began to reprimand the churches and said, you know, you've got some things that are good, but man, these things are bad here. And if you don't repent, it means you turn around and get back to where you're supposed to, there's going to be consequences in your lives. There's going to be consequences in your life personally. And there's going to be consequences in your church. And I've told you, I've been to churches where I, the first time I was there, it was a vibrant church. It was growing. People coming, people getting saved. It was, you can, you can tell. And a few years later, I, I can think of two different churches that that happened in. No, actually three. Three. Where it was clear cut. Went back years later and it was nothing, man. It was dead. It was horribly dead. There's nobody there. Uh, you can feel that there's nothing going on. God's hand's been retracted from the place. And you gotta, you got to figure out what went wrong. Well, the whole is comprised of many different parts. So people in the church begin to get away from God, begin to forget about God, begin to allow the world into their lives, and through those people, it came into the church. You know, your body is made up of different, different components, different members. And a doctor will cut off an arm or a leg if it is gangrenous. That means it is now dead and it's going to infect the rest of the body. It will kill you. And so what the doctors will do, unless they can reverse the gangrene through what's called a, um, there's a, a, a hyperbaric chamber, 
where they saturate with a certain amount of pressure, oxygen, to revive that member. And I've seen where people have gotten into this chamber and they recuperated from a devastating disease, i.e. from, or, or symptoms of, uh, and repercussions from diabetes and other things. But there comes a time when it's so gangrenous, it's dead, there's nothing to revive it, and a doctor has to cut it off. Or it'll affect the rest of your body and kill you. And there are times when God will do that in our lives. He'll cut things off, he'll prune them. To say, I've got to cut this out of your life because it will devastate you, it will destroy you. It will bring you down. And so God brings trials in your life and testing to say this has got to go and he brings our attention to those things. And he does it as an individual and he does it as a church. And we've gotten through all these churches now in the church age before God calls the church up into heaven and he unloosens the tribulation upon the earth. And we're now talking about the the age of the church until we turn the page into chapter 4 and the church is gone. The mission of the church will be over. It'll be too late to do anything for God to be represented, to be an impact and an influence in this world for Christ. It'll be too late. Because now we'll be in heaven. And those people that were left on earth that were not saved, that we didn't reach, will go through the tribulation. Some will be saved. But they will pay a tremendous price. Horrendous persecution like you have never known. Horrendous deprivation like you have never known. And finally, the, the cost of not yielding to and submitting to the mark of the beast and to the Antichrist would be to be decapitated. They will be martyrs for Christ. And so we have to understand this is a very important part of the book Revelation, even though all that we think about Revelation is all the, 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 the trials and, and the, the massive disasters and people dying and meteors coming on the earth and plagues and wars. That's coming. But for now, God's given us this time of the church to be his representative and say, we're warning you. We're warning you. You have no idea what's coming. You need to repent. You need to repent and turn back to Christ. When I say repent, repent, and what what God means repent is turn around. Because you're heading away from him. The reason we do certain things is because we're getting further from him. It's a symptom. We see things in our lives that are out of control, and it's because it is a symptom. People who have COVID or flu or whatever, they cough, they get fever, they get headaches, all these other things, those are symptoms of something you cannot see. You can't see the virus. But you can tell this person now because of the symptoms there's something wrong. And in your life and in the life of a church, when you begin to see certain symptoms, you know, hey, that person is getting farther and farther from what's healthy in the spirit and further and further into what's going to cause them ruin. And God tells us, and He warns us through these different churches, and He gives us different scenarios, how churches got away from God. And the way that people in the church allowed things to happen, and teaching in the church that was wrong, they they tolerated it. We live in an age of tolerance. They say you have to tolerate everything. God says no. God says no. No, you don't tolerate what's wrong. You don't tolerate what's not biblical. You don't tolerate what's a lie and what's against what I have taught you. They will try to confuse you in this world. They will try to brand you with different names. And you have to see with the discernment that God gives you what they're doing to try and bring you to their side. He told the children of Israel in the Old Testament, 
about the people that were surrounding them in the different nations. She says, you can convert them, but don't you dare be converted to them. And the question is, who is converting who? Who is converting who? Is the world converting us and then therefore we're bringing those thoughts into the church? Or are we converting people and they're coming into the church to understand and to walk and to learn and to fellowship in Christ? Because now today we get to a church that God has nothing bad to say about them. But the interesting thing is this. They're not very big. And they're not very strong. Because we have this mentality that if a church is vibrant and it's huge, it's a mega church, it's right with God. That's wrong. I can, I'm can. i not going to name the church. Maybe in another day I will. I can name a church in Texas. It's probably the largest church in America. Many, many people go there. The pastor is very well known. He's written a lot of books. The problem is he will not stand firm on the entire truth of God's word so that he doesn't offend people. And he's offending God. He has a lot of people in the church. He's not offending them, but he's offending God because God sent him to be a representative on the earth for him. To speak what he wants him to speak. To say what he wants him to say. But this guy's not doing it. How many people will go to hell? How many people will be lost? Because they thought, I was in church. I listened to this preacher. I did what this preacher said. This preacher didn't tell the truth didn't warn them about what was coming. And one day they stand before God, and God says, you knew the truth in your heart, but you stuck with this guy because you liked what he was saying. You stood in that church, you stayed there listening because it felt good, it sounded good, but you knew deep down in your heart that wasn't right. And now you're lost. Or there will be Christians there that are saved, but their lives are meaningless. Their rewards are gone. As we will see, some will have their crowns taken from them. Their, the, the trophies that God would have given them for the life lived as a Christian, they have lost it. Because instead of being true to God and true and faithful in a world that hates Him, in a world that is against Him, in the world that tries to change what God has said, they were complicit. They were complicit. And now... Many others are going to hell because instead of reaching them for Christ, they push them away. Jesus said, You're, you can't be an offense. This is how he put it. He said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. You're either, you're either gathering with me or you're pushing people away. Well, I've never said anything bad about you. No, but if you don't speak up for me, your silence... Your silence is telling people it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And therefore, the silence of people when they come to Christ one day, well, I didn't push anybody. Yes, you did. Because it was when I gave you a moment to speak for me, you did not. You, I left you here. I could have taken you home, but I left you here to be a representative for me. And you failed. And your rewards are gone. You're going to heaven. You're saved. But how embarrassing as the multitude of the angels as the multitude of everybody that's in heaven is watching one by one as we're getting judged by God, and they see our failures, and they see our shame. How embarrassing, how shameful. And especially as we see others who sacrificed and were a life and a light for God, and they are rewarded, they are exalted, 
And we sit there in comparison think, man, how shameful. That's why Jesus says, you know, some will be ashamed of his appearing. Some will be ashamed. So in chapter 3, he says unto the church, um, in verse 7, And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he's saying, write to the representative of that, angel, of that church, the messenger. These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens, no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. Nobody can undo what God has done. Nobody. And notice how he says to this church, through all the other churches, he gives certain characteristics of himself to say, hey, you know what, this is who I am, and compare yourself to me. Don't compare yourself to other people. That's really foolish. God says it's a foolish thing to compare each other with each other. Because God has made us individuals differently. He has given each and every one of us the gifts, the talents that He wants us in particular to have. And so He says, you know what, to this church He says, He that is holy. That means He's separate. He's apart. He's beyond what anything else can be. And He wants us to be separate and holy. What does holy mean? It doesn't mean walk around with our hands like this and mm, all day long. It means separate from the world. It means, it means separate from their principles, from their values, from their ways, from their mentality, their philosophy. And so to understand that you have to compare yourself not with other people, but with what God is saying. And he says, he that is holy, I'm talking to you, I'm holy, I'm true. The world is saying all kind of lies. They're trying to manipulate the truth. Hold up, hold your finger there and go to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. In this generation, we have now have gotten to the place, especially now when it is the legitimate law of the land to call good evil and evil good. To implement laws that are completely against God's will and say this is right. So, in verse, uh, verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God, the wrath, we think of, of God as, as a grandfather up in heaven, he's always kind and smiling. You have the wrong understanding of who God is, he's a holy God, he's the God that judged Egypt and destroyed them. He's the God that will that destroyed the earth in the flood. They all drowned. He's the God that destroyed the enemies of Israel. He is the God that brought that brings down fire and destruction upon the world in the book of Revelation. He is God Almighty. And it says here, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest or shown to them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God tells the world, some people say, well, what about the person over here? That's, that's hogwash, it's garbage. Because in each and every life, God brings a day when He says, seek me. Seek me. And it's the person who will decide, I will or I will not seek God. I will walk toward the truth that God is revealing to me, or I will walk away from it because I want to do my own thing. 
Either you walk toward the one that created you or you walk away from him because you have your own desires and your own plans. Everybody chooses and God says they're without excuse. There's no excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. Neither were thankful but became vain. It means foolish and empty in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And here it is, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God to the image made unto corruptible man and to basically animals, birds, four-footed bees, creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. God is saying this world that is given over to lesbianism, homosexuality, uh, transvestites, given over to all kinds of ungodly doctrines of atheism and so forth. There comes a time when God says, you want that? I'll let you go there. And God lets them go to their destruction. And they can no longer repent because God is no longer calling them to repent. All they have to look forward to is the day of judgment. They will die and they will be cast in the lake of fire forever because they have rejected and they have, how dare you how dare you, you change what God has said and you misrepresent it? A famous, famous pastor, a very godly man recently brought out and very, very many godly men have brought out what's just happened in this country. Here's a man that recently put his left hand on the Bible and swore with his right hand to God that he would fulfill an oath. The next thing he does, he begins to do everything contrary to the will of God. He begins to legalize transvestites in schools and homosexuality. He begins to favor Islam instead of Israel. He begins to implement laws against what's right and, 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 and where the, the uh, labors in the Old Testament. God said, if you cry out to me, if your laborers cry out to me and you withhold their wages from me, I will judge you for doing that. Here, this individual has cut thousands and thousands of jobs from people and told them, no, you can't work and you can't do this. And he's depriving them of the ability to make a living for their families. So many evil things that are going on. This man, how dare you put your hand on the Bible and say that you reverence the Bible, you reverence what God says, and then do completely opposite. That's blasphemy. That's complete blasphemy. And so here we go back to a church in um, Revelation 3. <clears throat> he says, I open and I shut no man can change what I'm, what I'm doing. I have the keys of David. What does the keys of David mean? Number one, if you have keys somewhere, that means you have authority. That means you have the authority given to you to open or lock people in or out. If, if you have keys somewhere, somebody's given you authority, say you can open this door and let in who you will or shut out who you will. I have given you authority. And the keys of David, if you go back to Isaiah 22, you'll look and see what that means. Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22. At verse 22. 22-22 or? 22 22 He's talking to a man that has so misrepresented God. God says, I'm going to take this from you. You were a treasure in my house. 
you have cheated, you have dis misrepresented me, you have gone, you have been so corrupt, I'm going to take it from you and I'm going to give it to somebody else who's worthy. I'm going to give it to somebody else who deserves it, who I've chosen. I have looked, I see, I look at every individual. My eyes are a flame of fire. I can see right through you. I can see through the hypocrisy. I can see through the lies. I can th see through the side. I know who's, who's genuine and who's not. And he's telling an individual, I'm going to take this from you. I don't care what you think of yourself. I don't care what you've done, how great you think you are, and what you've built up. I'm going to take it all from you. I'm going to give it to somebody else. And that's what he does to churches. That's what we have seen through the churches. He said, if you don't repent, I'm going to take your candlestick from you. I'm going to put out your light. I'm going to put out the light of that church. And many, many people, individually, their lights have gone out as Christians. They're dark. They no longer emit light to other people that they're Christians. I have a, a, a plaque on my desk, and it says, um, Be still. Be still and know that I'm God. And I have it there, and I had a guy come in that thinks he's being cute, and he tries to, you know, I'm sorry, but suck up to the boss. And he says, oh, um, he changed the words of that. He, he said, you should have it say, be still and, and know that I'm in charge. I'm like, no, I'm not in charge of anything. I'm not in charge of the next heartbeat that God gives me. The next breath that God gives me, I'm not in charge of anything of that. I know what you're saying. Then he's embarrassed and he's trying to change things. And I will not let him change the word of God. I will not let him change the meaning of what this is. Even though he's trying to like, you know, you know, butter, up, butter up to the boss. He's not buttering up to me. He's showing me what a jerk he is. And here is somebody trying to change it. But here this guy says here in verse 22, God says to, um, to this person, and it, uh, verse 20, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. This is the guy that's going to replace this other man. And I will strengthen him with thy robe, with your robe, your clothes. I'm going to put on him. And your girdle, your belt, you know, those belts you wear with all your buckles and this and that. Well, the belt of, of honor, he's going to take from this guy and give it to this other guy. He says, and I will commit your government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. That means the authority that I gave David. And he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in the sure place. That means nobody's going to pull him out of there. Nobody's going to get him out of there because I put him there. Nobody can take him out. See, that's what happens with your salvation. I'm going to show you that that's how ha what happens in your salvation. When God gives you salvation, nobody can take it from you. God fastens you sure and nobody can pull you out of there. These teachings that people can lose their salvation is not biblical. They take out of context what God has said. Because once you're saved, you're a child of God. Now, He may discipline you because you get out of line. He may bring you home even. But He will never now renounce you because He has bought and paid for you with His blood. And so He says to them, And the key of the house of David I will lay upon His shoulder. 
so he shall open, no shall shut. And then go down to verse 23. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. Stop there. God's saying, I'm going to honor this guy. Just like David. You know, when God was looking to replace Saul, he already knew what he was going to do. He said, you guys are looking at Saul. You're looking on the outside. You're looking at his stature and, and, his, and how, how handsome he is. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the heart. He said, I have found a man that after my own heart. I found a man after my own heart is David. And God says, that's what I want. I don't want the show. I don't want the outward, I don't want the outward you know, sham. I want your heart to be true. And so I'm going to take this from you. And I'm going to take it from you because you're nothing but a bunch of show. And I'm going to give it to this guy here because he has a heart like mine. And that's what God says. That's what he wants from his people. And look, look at John chapter 10. No matter what your failures are, no matter what your sin, as a child of God, if you turn back to him and you repent and say, my father, my God, my life has been screwed up. I've walked away from you, and these are the symptoms of my life that have happened. I put them in your hands. I, I need to get back to you. Will you restore me? And God is more than desiring to do that very thing, but don't keep walking away from him. Walk toward him with your sin. Walk toward him with your shame, and bring it to him, and he will restore. In John chapter 10, uh, verse 28 through, um, through 30. <clears throat> let's, let's look at 27. Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Hey, do, can you tell when somebody belongs to Jesus? Can you tell, can you hear the voice of God speaking to you when God is talking through his messengers? God says, I, they hear me, they understand what I'm saying, they follow me. He says, and I will give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. You know why? Because he fastens them in a sure place. Just like he told that, that Hilkiah over there, the son of Hilkiah, in the book of Isaiah, says, I will fasten you in a sure place. Nobody can take you. You will never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of the, the hand of my Father I and my Father are one. When you're saved, when you have believed in Yeshua, as the Jews call Him, Jesus, He now, he now claims you as His own. You cannot be lost. You can stray like a sheep. But when you hear the Master calling, all of a sudden it breaks your heart. And you turn around and you come back. And you come back. Those who are disobedient, God disciplines His children. And that's for another day. Uh, one, another day we'll teach of the discipline that God gives His children that are His. But understand this, He loves those that are His and they will never perish, ever. Never. You're, you're secure, you're sure, and you're fastened in a sure place. God will take what's from this world that hates Him and He will give it to you. One day this world, in the book of Revelation, later on we're going to see it, 
he's going to declare, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of my God and of his, of his Christ. And he shall reign forever. He's going to take this kingdom and these governments from these people. He's going to send them into judgment, into hell. And we're going to reign in their place. In a place where now there's judgment, there's justice, there's holiness, there's mercy, there's righteousness. During those thousand years of Jesus reigning on the earth. And so that's who we represent as a church as we go back to the book of Revelation. <clears throat> he says, verse 8, he says, I know your works. I know what you do. I know how you work for me. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. The opportunities and the blessings God gives you, nobody can take from you. Nobody. The fact that you're on your way to heaven, the fact that you're on your way to be with Him forever, nobody can take that from you. They can take your worldly possessions, like many Christians before you that suffered persecution, but they cannot take everything from you because one day God will give you what they have never dreamed of. And they can't take your life, your eternal life. They can take your, your physical life, but God gives you resurrection, and you will be with Him forever. They can't take that from you. <clears throat> he says, this is, this is really cool. It says here, it says, for you, and I'll, I'll say it in the English of today. The old English says, for thou hast a little strength. Basically says, you're not very strong. He's talking to a church. Not a big church. Not a big fancy church. We're going to see the big fancy church in the next one called Laodicea. They were hollow inside. They were hueco, or hueca as it's in Spanish. They had nothing. They were all sham and show. He says, you're not a very big church. You're not very strong as far as this world sees, but you have kept my word. He says here, but you've kept my word and you haven't denied my name. What does that mean? What chapter is it? We're in chapter 3 in verse 8 of Revelation. Chapter 3 and verse 8. And I'll repeat it. <clears throat> And I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. You have a little strength. You know why no man can shut it, even though you have a little strength? Because it doesn't depend on your strength. It depends on the strength of God. When we can't do and we think we're going to fail, God says, you can't fail. I am your strength. I am your strength. And a lot of times, God puts us... In like horrible situations, like man, I can't do this. I can't. I, every single day I go to work. I'm like, how am I going to do this? I, I, this is overwhelming to me. This week I saw my boss do a Joshua. <laughs> I've never seen him do that before. He was so overwhelmed. He was like, <laughs> and I was thinking, man, if he's like that, what am I going to do? But all of a sudden, a peace would come over me. And even though the situation was bad as far as how much we had to do and accomplish in so little time, I had this peace. And I said, okay, God, it doesn't look like I'm going to get it done. But at the end of the day, it got done. I walked away from work last night. I said, God, you got me through it. I'm done. You got me through this big, this, this big um, 
trial in my life for this next week. I've already, it's already done. You see, a lot of times God says, well, most of the time God, God always knows the end. We just look at the, the situation in front of us like it's impossible. It's impossible. And God says, yeah, but it's not depending on your strength. It's depending on my ability to get you through this. It's about what I'm going to provide for you. It's about the open doors that I'm going to provide. Can you imagine Moses? Can you imagine him? He's got two million people behind him. And recently me and my wife sat there and we saw in a video where the area where they took the Jews through these mountains in Egypt and they took them the long way around. And it, the Bible describes exactly what this place is to the T. And it comes out, and there's a place where Solomon had built a thing there, a reminder. Nobody wants to hear nobody, nobody wants to talk about it, but it's true. And they look at this ocean, and can you imagine there's walls of mountains here and walls of mountains there, and there's a sea in front of you, and all of a sudden there's an army coming after you and think, we're done. We're done. We're slaves. They're going to kill us. They're going to butcher us. They're going to, the rest of us are going to take back into slavery. And God said, God told Moses, stand still and see, see what God will do. All of a sudden, God in a place where nobody could figure out what was going to happen, he opens up the sea. And not only does he open up the sea and walk through, but they weren't walking through on mud. He dried it out for them in an instant. And they walked through. And when they got on the other side, he opens the flame in the Bible and actually we're there. And we see where the guy's showing us this is where the sand and the rocks were melted together. Look at this area. Look at this. And he's bringing out the scientific fact. And we're like, wow. My wife's saying, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. This guy's bringing this out. And this is where the, the, the pillar of fire stood as the Egyptians were behind. And God would not let them get the, the Jews. And when the Jews walk inside, God finally lifts it. And he allows them. He says, come here, guys. Come here. And they walk into the valley of the walls of water. And when they're in the middle, God says, you're done. And he closes it. And he drowned them. And the Jews, later on, the Bible says, they saw the bodies of the Egyptians floating in the sea. And as you go back there now, and you look in the cameras, there are there is coral where the wheels of the chariots were. There's all kinds of evidence there now that there that because coral doesn't grow on sand, it grows on objects. And it's the, 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 the shape everywhere of wheels and spokes. and it's, it's amazing. They didn't have a lot of strength. They were slaves. They were slaves. But God brought them through and said, it's my strength. It's my deliverance, not yours. And so as a church today, we're close to the time of the rapture. We're close to the time when God will take us out. God says here in another verse, he says, be patient and I'll show you. He says, you've kept my word and you haven't denied my name. In the middle of all that's going on, all the, the persecution, all the ridicule, he says, so look, behold means look, pay attention. I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. I'm going to make your enemies, those that say they belong to me, but don't, in a line. I'm going to make them to come down and bow down before you. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I pray it kind of often, usually going to work. It's in Psalm 23. And he says, uh, he, make, he, uh, he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It means He honors me in the presence of those that dislike me, that are against me. And that's happened to me where I work. There are people that didn't like me. All of a sudden, I went from the bottom of the company all the way to now the very top. The only, but, the only person above me is the general manager. Everybody else is below me. And God took me all the way to the top of this company. And I've worked directly also for the owner of the company in another department that I work under, that I, I also hold a position in. And now God has honored me in front of those people that used to hate me, didn't like me. And God will do the same thing. He says, one day I'm going to honor you before your enemies. I'm going to honor you before those that are against you. I'm going to lift you up in their sight. I'm going to show them that I am for you. And they're going to have to bow before you. He says, because you have kept the word of my patience. What does that mean, the word of my patience? It means we're having to put up with a lot on this earth because we're Christians. We have to put up with a lot of ridicule, a lot of temptation from the enemy. We have to put up, we're still patient to say, I'm going to follow what he has told me. I'm going to follow what he said. He said this, so I'm going to follow that. I'm not going to stray. I'm not going to try to change it. I'm going to listen to what he said, and I'm going to be patient enough to wait for the day when I'm no longer under this heavy burden. I'll be patient to what you said. It's hard being patient. It's not easy. Especially when people are trying to hurt you. And that also is talked to in another place. Let's look at Revelation chapter 13. Put your finger there. Look at Revelation 13. We're almost finished. <clears throat> what time is it? Okay. We gotta end up. Okay. Um, chapter 13, verses 10 through um, 13. The, he says, If any man has an ear to hear, he that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Those that are putting you in prison... Those that are killing you, God will put them in prison and God will kill them. Be patient. Don't turn around and do what they're doing. Be patient. Wait, I have a solution. I have a way out. He says, those people that are doing that to you, I'm going to do it to them. He says, and he that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe him? Do you believe him enough to what as what he has said to wait on what he tells us will be the end? Will we wait for what he's saying? Or will we jump to do our own will? Will we jump to come up with our own solution? That is the patience and the faith of the saints. The faith to be patient to wait for his end for His salvation, for His deliverance, not our own. And there's much more, but I will, uh, I won't, there's, there's way more. Uh, look at 14.12 real quick. That goes with that as well. He says, Here is the patience of the saints. 
Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We'll close there. We'll go back there to chapter 3 and finish. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In the time of tribulation, in the time of the worst persecution, will you not fail to believe him? Will you not stop walking with him? Will you be patient to the end? That's what he's saying about this church that was not very big, not very strong. And we'll continue with the rest of the, the rest of it next week because I, I don't you know I don't want you like all of a sudden here's a, here's a, here's a, here's your attention span. And what it goes like this, all of a sudden you get there's your attention, all of a sudden you start losing your attention. So we'll continue it next week. We'll continue and we'll finish up with this church, but then we're going to jump into the last church, the church of apostasy. And that church of apostasy, what happens there is that's the church that is now, most of the world is in that church. They are a church that is very superficial. It's all about the music and the show. It's about the rock star pastor. It's about the building. It's about their outreach to people in different things, but they are hollow inside. They have left their first love. And Jesus, we're going to see, is on the outside of the church. Can you imagine? When you're knocking on the door, are you inside the house or outside the house? You're outside the house. That means he is outside of this church knocking. That means he's not inside. They're having church without him. And he's like, anybody hear me? And he says, any individual that hears me, obviously the church is no longer wanting me in there because they're too busy, they're too famous. But if anybody in that church hears me and opens the door, I will come into them. And I will have now communion with them. I will supper them and they with me. But now out of that church, he's talking to individuals because he's no longer talking to the church in general because they have left him outside. He's left him outside. And now he's talking to individuals in that church. Hey, will you come out to me and open the door? Because the rest of people don't want me. Right after that, we turn a page into chapter 4. And that's when the church is raptured out of the earth. From then on, the church isn't here to accomplish the mission. The church is in heaven. And God now rains judgment upon the earth that we know as the apocalypse. And he begins to judge them and billions and billions of people die. And billions and billions of people are starved to death, imprisoned, tortured, diseased, horrendous time that has never been on the earth before and God will destroy them and set up his new kingdom let's pray Father thank you for your telling us about these things before they happen so that we can know and then we can go and tell others help us to be faithful ambassadors of yours wherever we have failed God that you'll forgive us and restore us and resend us out to do what you have commanded us to do because we've gotten so busy and so wrapped up with so many of the things. And the church is failing. The churches are failing. Help us to be a church like Philadelphia in these days, in these last days. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.